If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them out and turn to the Gospel of Matthew once again. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 2 this morning. Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to be focusing on verses 1 through 12, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 18. So as you're turning there, let me introduce it in this way. Um, Babies are unnerving. Now, um, I say that knowing that that might sound just, to some of you, it might sound just hard to hear that that babies are unnerving, especially to some of you uh, women, because, I mean, when you think about babies, I mean, you think of the, the cuddly cuteness that they are and all the wonderful things that they are. Babies are wonderful, but most of the men in here... Every red-blooded American man that I know would tell you that babies are unnerving, and more than that, they're terrifying. Uh, I mean, whenever you first meet a baby, I mean, you don't know what to do with them, and you you know that they're they're uh, capable of doing some pretty crazy things, and uh, there's uh, things that can flow out of them and spew out of them at any moment if you shake them too much. If you handle them the wrong way, I mean, they're delicate, and things might fall off of them and all that, and so most... Most men just find babies very unnerving. And then, I mean, it takes about five minutes to be with your own child before you get over those things. But when you first meet, him, meet them, man, it's, it's really kind of scary and terrifying. Well, I want to I just introduce this passage in, this, in that way because what we see today is baby Jesus as incredibly unnerving to the people of Jerusalem, to King Herod, and even to the wise men. They, they are troubled by this baby. And what is it about baby Jesus that is so unnerving and so troubling for them? Well, last week we, we found out really the reason why. It's because he's not just any old regular baby. He's not like you and me. But he's the Messiah, the, the anointed one. That he's God himself that has come to dwell with his people. And when God comes to dwell with his people, it is an unnerving and troubling thing. So let's read this. I'll read, once again, I'll read through verse 18. Uh, So Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them... Uh, to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, Gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. 
Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child by night, uh, took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he uh, sent and killed all of the male children in Bethlehem and in all the re- that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her, her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help in understanding His word. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this troubling passage about so many things that are uh, that happened surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that we would be equally as troubled by you coming to live among us, that we would not be distracted by uh, by the wrong things but that we would see that you coming to live with us means the destruction of sin, our sin, and the destruction of death itself. And our Savior coming means that we can live with you forever and ever and dwell with you because of your great love, but also means judgment for those that are not your people, that do not believe in Christ. Trouble us with this passage today, we pray it in Christ's name. So in this passage, we're given uh, a picture of of three different people or groups of people uh, that are troubled by Jesus. And the first one, I think, very obviously, is King Herod. King Herod is troubled by Jesus. You see that when Herod, this is verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. So Herod was troubled. It's interesting to me, and I think we need to uh, observe this fact um, just the way that the Bible records history and, and the way that the Bible addresses great people in history. Uh, Herod was called Herod the Great. That's the way that history remembers Herod. He was Herod the Great. If you go through and read the secular histories of the time, they will tell you about how wonderful a ruler Herod was. He was massively successful as the king of the Jews. He ruled over this region uh, for the Caesars in Rome. And the Caesars in Rome loved Herod because he was able to raise a lot of taxes and subdue rebellions and all of those things. And he had massive and extensive building projects all through uh, this region, all through the, through the uh, region of Israel. Uh, that Many of them were dedicated to the Caesar and were dedicated to the rulers in Rome. And they loved Herod for this reason. Uh, and so that's kind of the picture that secular history tells us about Herod, that he was a great leader. But notice the way that the Bible describes Herod. I mean, entire volumes could be written about uh, the, the life of Herod. And how much information do you get about Herod from the Bible? Very little. What do you know about him? Well, you know about him uh, from the scriptures that he was an anxious man, that he was uh, a murderous man, and he was incredibly suspicious. You see, that's the way the Bible approaches history. That's the way the Bible gives us a reflection about what's really important. Leaders are not uh, 
judged in the scriptures according to what they build or how much money they have or how successful they are in those ways. But ultimately, they're judged about whether or not they worship Jesus Christ. And that's what Herod did not do. Herod was troubled by Jesus, by the presence of this new king. Notice what happens. Herod is in his palace. He's ruling and reigning. And then all of a sudden, these wise men come. Now, notice in the passage again, we're not told how many wise men are here. Uh, We're not told their names. We're not told anything about them. The only thing we're really told about them uh, is that they're wise men. And the the Greek word that's used is magoi, which means some kind of wise person from another region. And, uh, And I'll get more into that in a minute. But these wise men come. They're not wise guys. They're not mobsters. They're wise men. Okay, so they come. They have gifts. They want to, and they explicitly tell Herod what they're there to do. They want to meet the newborn king, and they want to worship him. And Herod is troubled. Why is Herod so troubled? Because the backstory is that Herod thought of himself as the Messiah of Israel. Herod was a Jew. He was kind of, he was, uh, I think his great-grandfather or his grandfather was an Edomite, but uh, his family married into uh, a Jewish family, and he rose to prominence and power and ruled and reigned as a Jewish leader. He knew his scriptures. Here in a moment, uh, well, whenever the wise men come, what happens? He calls the chief priests and the scribes and all of the theologians and the biblical scholars to come and tell him certain things because he had interest in knowing what the scriptures said. And what Herod read the scriptures to mean and how he read it was that there was going to be a great man that would come and that great man would build the temple and he was the Messiah. Well, you know, one of the massive projects that Herod undertook to to do to build the temple. And so he said, I'm the one building the temple. And guess what? The Messiah was going to be the one building the temple and I'm doing it. I must be the Messiah. I must be the one who is anointed by God. That's what Herod thought of himself. And he was so, um, he wanted to retain that title as the son of God so much. He actually had it printed on coins and distributed those coins. And it would say Herod, son of God and various things. And he expected for all of the Jewish people to use the coins that he had minted. And then whenever one of his sons or one of his relatives got too high and mighty in their own mind, he would simply have them killed because he didn't want anyone to be a pretender to his throne. Isn't that a great Messiah? Isn't that a great one? Isn't that the one you want to rule and reign over you? Well, Herod was troubled because he thought he was the Messiah. Now, we can look at that and we can shake our heads and we can say, well, how terrible Herod was. But here's the thing. Herod gets something about Jesus. And Herod is troubled about Jesus, I think, for uh, the right reasons. Because he understands who Jesus is and what he came to do. Who is Jesus? He's he's the true Messiah. What did the true Messiah come to do? The true Messiah has come to rule and to reign over everyone else. The true Messiah has come to destroy every other Messiah and every other true pretender to the throne that there ever has been. Herod understood that the presence of Jesus was a threat to his power, to his control, to everything that he thought he was. And in some ways, I wish we were a little bit more like Herod. 
I wish we didn't pretend like we didn't want the same things that Herod wanted. I wish that we didn't just put on a nice, happy face and show up to church dressed real nice, smelling real nice, hopefully. Uh, I hope we actually, we, we weren't just nice all the time. I mean, I enjoy you being nice, and I want that. But deep down, and, and, or maybe not even that deep down, just under the surface of all that niceness is an individual with a Messiah complex just like Herod who wants to have control over our own lives, who, who wants to have the power that Herod had, who wants to tell other people what to do and how to do it and for them to just obey or you could kill them. That's who we really are. And I need you to understand that Jesus came to unseat not only Herod from the place of being Messiah, but he also came to remind us that we are not Messiah as well. We are not our own saviors. We do not determine our own destinies. We do not rule for ourselves. And even if you don't see yourself as your Messiah, there's something in your life, more than likely, that you are giving your heart over to, that you are hoping to find you, that gives you identity. There's something in your life that you are building your life on, that even though you wouldn't explicitly call it your Messiah, it is your Messiah, your children, your family, your reputation, um, your wealth, your success, fame, how good you can hit a, a baseball. I mean, all of these things, maybe you're building your life on that. In the presence of Jesus, Jesus coming into the world says, I've come to unseat those things from your life, and I will be the one that demands your time, that demands your destiny. And that's troubling for us, or at least it should be. That's the first one we see, the first one who is troubled. Secondly, we see not just that Herod is troubled, but an entire group of people are troubled. Look in verse 3 again. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. An entire city, maybe of 100,000 people, was troubled because of these wise men and the news that they bring. And here's the way this would have worked. More than likely, these wise men, they traveled in a large caravan. Um, I mean, maybe they had camels. We don't really know. That's just kind of what tradition tells us. But they would have likely had a large caravan of people with them. It probably would have been an entire group of people that traveled with them. And so these people from the east, wherever that may have been, would have been interesting strangers to walk into Jerusalem. And everyone immediately would have known something weird was up. And more than likely, they didn't go directly to Herod. As a matter of fact, they probably, on their way to Jerusalem, as they entered into Israel, began to ask people, where was the king of the Jews born? Where was he born? And as they got closer and closer to Jerusalem, asking everyone, where's the king of the Jews? More and more, everyone would go, what? And you can imagine they go into the gates of the city of Jerusalem and they begin to interact with people there. And They need water for their camels or horses or whatever they're traveling on. And They need water and they need food and all these things. And everybody's like, well, why are you here? And they're like, we're here to meet and worship the king of the Jews. And you know the response they would have gotten from everyone they would have met? The response was, who? What? Why are you here? You're saying there's been a royal birth? And then they would have looked around and said, we haven't heard anything about this. 
And so eventually what would have happened, they would have worked their way to uh, being invited before Herod to tell them why they were there. You see, they, news would have traveled all through Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is troubled by their news. And before we get into the wise men, I just want you to reflect on this, that, that these wise men, whoever they were, understood some major things. They were able to look into the heavens and see the stars and understand the cosmic events that were unfolding and taking place. They understood that this king's birth was unlike any king's birth that there ever had been. And they would have been shocked. Why does no one know what's going on? Recently, there was a royal birth. There was a birth uh, to, um, it was like, who was it? It wasn't, I can't even remember their names. They're so... It doesn't even matter. The royal birth that just happened, it was like the the kid was the eighth in line to the throne of England, which means he'll never be on the throne of England. And the world stopped for a time, and all of media attention was just on this royal birth, and all of England was abuzz. And for some reason, Americans stopped to pay attention to this person who was eighth in line to the king of England. And, And it just doesn't matter, right? But here is the royal birth of royal births. The king of kings that was born in the world. And no one knows anything about it. And eventually Jerusalem gets troubled by this. Because if the king is born, if the king has been born, we're in trouble. And they're not really troubled whenever they hear the news of the king of kings being born. When are they troubled? They're troubled after Herod gets the news. They're troubled after Herod gets the news. And that's the way that Matthew writes it. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And it's almost as like it could say this. And then all of Jerusalem was troubled. Why were they troubled? Why was this entire city troubled? They were not troubled because God came to dwell with his people. They were troubled because Jesus was a threat to their economic and political security. Because as terrible as Herod was, he brought a lot of prosperity for Jerusalem and for Israel. If he had a tagline, Herod's tagline would have been, he's come to make Israel great again. That's the kind of ruler he was. And everyone benefited economically and politically because Herod was the ruler. And then all of a sudden, you hear the story of another king that might unseat Herod. That was a threat to their pocketbooks. It was a threat to their stability that they had enjoyed. And that's why they were troubled. Jesus is a threat to their worldly security. They were indifferent until they couldn't be. They didn't know that a king had been born. They didn't even care about it until they threatened their wealth and their success and all of those things. And most people, I think, are like this. And even, unfortunately, most Christians are like this. We really don't give Jesus much of a thought until he's a threat to our pocketbooks, until he asks us to do more than we want to do. And I think that's the way it's been, actually, uh, that uh, you almost see a reflection of this in China. Um, The Chinese government, uh, for years and years, has been largely letting Christians worship the way that they want to worship. Uh, They have largely just let Christianity go, and as long as people pay their taxes and they don't cause too much of a problem, uh, they've been letting Christians go and worship. And so Christianity, for a long time, has thrived in China until recently. 
until very recently. And what's happening now is that Chinese Christians are under severe persecution. They're being hunted down, arrested. Churches are being, church buildings are being destroyed. And Christians are being thrown into jail and having all of their possessions taken away because, and here's the reason why, China finally realized that the millions upon millions, hundreds of millions of Christians uh, in China were giving more to the church than they were giving to the government. They began to be affected whenever Jesus took away from them. And I think that's the way, unfortunately, most Christians are as well. What about you? What troubles you about Jesus? Because if God has come to dwell with his people, you should be troubled. Because you do not deserve to have God dwell with you. Because you have a debt of sin that you owe. And if that debt of sin has not been cared for, has not been taken care of, the king has not only come to dwell with you, but he has come for you to rule and reign over you. What about you? What troubles you about Jesus? Or does he trouble you at all? is even register on the list of things that you have to worry about throughout the week. Well, so those are two negative examples of the way that Jesus can trouble individuals. Finally, we get the positive example, the magis, or the magis, the, the, the wise men. Well, who are they, first of all? Um, I'll tell you who they are. No one knows who these guys are. <laughs> If anybody tells you they know exactly who these wise men are, um, they really don't know. Um, We have traditions that tell us uh, various things about them, uh, but we really don't know who they are. All we're told, and this is the only gospel account that we have, Matthew tells us that these wise men from the east came and showed up. Now, uh, I can make some assumptions about who they are. Usually in the Bible, whenever it says people come from the east... They mean they come from the region of Babylon. Uh, Again, that's usually, and so I'm saying these are probably people that came from the region uh, of Babylon. The city of Babylon had been destroyed at this point, but there were still pockets of Babylonians and Persians that were were doing their thing uh, east, uh, uh, east of Jerusalem. And so that's where I'm saying I think they're probably from the region of Babylon. Uh, and if you know anything about the history of Babylon and the way that, that that history interacts with God's people, with the Israelites, you know that for a time, the Israelites had, were very successful and uh, were, were blessed living in the, the uh, city of Babylon and, and in the Babylonian uh, captivity. Up to and including uh, the prophet Daniel being one of the, the highest ranking members of Babylonian government. Uh, and actually, he was the head of a school of uh, astrologers, essentially, that could understand history and the times and all of those things. And so my assumption is that these mag, uh, magi were probably um, Babylonian astronomers that were in a school who studied the scriptures because Daniel taught them to study the scriptures. That's my view of it. And what were they coming to do? Why were they there? They weren't coming to just meet the king and give him gifts and pay homage to them. They came specifically to worship him. The word for worship that's used means to bow down, to kiss the ring. That's what they came to do, to kiss the ring of this new king. And I think there's a theological importance of this. There's theological importance for us. What were they doing? They were looking for the Messiah. 
And understand the contrast. Herod thought he was the Messiah. The rest of the city of Jerusalem, they weren't looking for the Messiah. They could care less about the Messiah. But these wise men were looking for the Messiah. There are two common answers that are, are, are given in the world about who the Messiah is. Um, one answer is that the government will save you. The government is your savior. Or the second answer is that you will be your own savior. And here's what these guys are saying, these wise, wise men are saying. The government can't save you. You can't save you. Only the true Messiah will save you. They were looking for the one that would rule over their souls. It's very rare to find someone like this. It's very rare indeed to find someone who wants to be ruled over. Most of us are scratching and clawing to rule over ourselves and to rule over others. And these, these wise men said, and this is why they're called wise men, they did not want to rule over themselves. They wanted to give their lives over to the only one that should be their ruler. And their response of worship to the true king should be our response. Who were they coming to glorify? Were they going to glorify themselves? No, they were going to glorify the newborn king. Whose glory are you seeking? Who's, what is your life all about? Is your life about what you do and what you want and what you can get and your fame and your glory? Have you seen that Jesus is the Messiah? And your life is about him and his glory, his fame and what he wants. Who are you worshiping this morning? Who have you truly come to worship? Are you coming to worship yourself? Because you cannot fulfill the role of Messiah. You cannot save yourself. And only Jesus is the appropriate one to receive our worship. That's who he is. That's what he has come to do. Let me conclude in this way. When the wise men met Jesus, what did they do? They bowed down, they worshipped. And they gave him their gifts. Um, you're going to go and in a couple days open gifts. <laughs> you're going to have gifts and you're going to be excited about those gifts and all of those things. But here's the thing. Those gifts will not satisfy you. You have been given those gifts by your parents, by your loved ones, um, by whomever. And you need to understand those gifts will not satisfy you. Here's what I want you to practice this, this Tuesday as you're opening gifts. You will receive gifts because someone loves you. Just like these wise men are giving gifts because they have been loved. And they're returning those gifts back to Christ. And they're doing it as a response to him. And here's what I want you to do. The only way you're going to be pleased with the gifts you, you're given is if you give them back to Jesus. And that's true of the physical gifts, but that's also true of your life. If you are not daily giving your life back to Jesus, then you will not find satisfaction or fulfillment in the physical gifts that you get, because in a few hours they'll be broken and you won't even care about them. Or in your life you will be deeply unsatisfied because you're believing that your life is about yourself. Give your gift back to Jesus, and you'll find meaning and purpose in that. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this message, and we thank you that you have loved us so, so much to come and live among us, to dwell with your people. 
Lord, I pray that we would be troubled by it, troubled enough to worship, to fall on our face before you, to give you all of our gifts, all of our talents, all of our lives, and that our life would be about you and not ourselves. Make us a people who are identified by Jesus, that we aren't looking for the things of this world or the people of this world to give us meaning and purpose, but only Jesus Christ for that. We pray these things in his name.